Jumbo, fellow adventurers, I'm Mike Dooley, here to remind you once more that your thoughts become things. And I'm going to do it today by dropping another edition of a week's worth of spiritual tune-ups. These were broadcasted live this week. My answers to fellow adventurers' questions about life, dreams, and happiness, and each one took 5, 10, or 15 minutes. We've sewn them all together for your viewing and listening enjoyment. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, Mike Dooley, Thoughts Become Things. Glad to be with you on a Monday morning time for a spiritual tune-up with a question that I think we have all wondered. I have touched on answers to similar questions in the last 300 spiritual tune-ups, all of which are available at Facebook and or Instagram, by the way, speaking to animal consciousness, animal reincarnation. But I don't think I've spoken in a single tune-up on as many topics as has just been asked. Uh, plus, there's some tangents I'll touch on as well. Mike, um, I'm deeply in love with the animals in my life. I know that feeling. Are the are the same things true for them as are true for us as part uh, in terms of our spiritual evolution, the evolution of consciousness? Life after death, uh, they also die, but do they come back? Uh, do they become humans in reincarnations? Do we choose to return as animals sometimes? Great questions. I can tell you, maybe I've had an easy life, but the rock bottom, rock bottom was when I had to put down my beloved uh, mixed breed, 52 pound black mongrel. And uh, it, it was just utterly debilitating. And I couldn't believe that given what I felt like I knew about reality at the time, this was maybe 15 years ago. Uh, so I was still on this path as a teacher of spirituality. It was still so debilitating utterly devastating for a week. And then like literally on the eighth day, I rose and I was like totally over it. But I know that feeling and that feeling of grief in any situation, this is a bit of a tangent, always comes from our adherence uh, to the physical senses alone, blinding ourselves to the greater truth that love is love forever, that we're always together with with people and ideas and animals that have touched our hearts. So if anybody's grieving right now, I understand it's understandable, but you can't be separated from uh, an animal or anything that you have fallen in love with. You are together forever in the most magical of ways. So do animals have souls? Uh, no, not in the way we have souls. Are they a part of God? Oh my God, they're pure God. Um, are they divine? Are they connected? Do they have a higher purpose? Oh my gosh, yes. But we speak of our souls simply to put a handle on the, the distance we've created through our naiveties. And so here we are thinking we're mere mortal, thinking that life is happening to us while we do have a higher self that we often ignore or are oblivious to and or a, a, a higher if you will, focal point that creates a tree of incarnations. Our soul is the mothership. An animal doesn't need, nor does an animal create that separation where they're all about uh, their physicality. Animals know their greater place 
in the scheme of things. They know that they are to spark love. They know they complete the ecosystems. They have a mission and they're conscious of it as they prowl and walk and fly and swim through this oasis, this magical, these magical jungles of time and space. So because we have created a separation with our physical senses to here and now versus all else, and usually it's cut off, we speak of that other part of ourselves, that higher part of ourselves, that more complete part of ourselves as our soul. Animals don't create that separation, therefore they don't need to have that soul, and the separation is only to our senses. There is no real separation between you and your soul. You are one and the same, um, but you don't know that, so we call it a soul. Animals are not self-reflective. They don't wonder about the meaning of life. They live in the eternal now in ways that we aspire to doing. And therefore, when they expire, when they transition, there is no unfinished business. They played full out. They were in every second uh, of their waking life. They were present and connected. So there is no unfinished business uh, and that means, generally, there is no reincarnation of most animals, uh, an iguana, uh, a cattle herd, um, doves or bald eagles or alligators or dinosaurs. There's no need for reincarnation because there's no unfinished business because they were totally focused here and now. The one tiny exception, and I got this reading, uh, I believe, the Emmanuel books, uh, by Pat Rodgast, excuse me for the poor pronunciation, animals that are deeply loved, they have within their being an awakening, unlike all other animals that are just part of God dancing in the ecstasy of physicality. Animals that are loved all of a sudden have this current going back and forth with a person or a family. And this current creates depths and dimensions to the love that they would never have otherwise experienced. And therefore, there is unfinished business. Unfinished business in that they just want to explore more this magical concept of loving and identifying and furthering and going deeper. So some pets, I will tell you, I will say, do reincarnate, maybe with another family and or reading James Van Prague back to the same family. When I lost my beloved dog that I referenced just a moment ago, um, the one, one of the things that helped me so much, you know, always go to truth. It is the soothing balm that'll get you past grief or confusion or anything of the, of the like. I found this book I happened to have in my closet that I had never read, James Van Prague, um, Talking to Heaven. And there's a chapter in there about pet consciousness and pet reincarnation. Not animal reincarnation, pet reincarnation. Uh, I, I know that these are words, they're slippery, but understand generally an animal, a goldfish, uh, an otter, a beaver, they, they don't need to reincarnate, they don't have the unfinished business. But beloved pets have been taken to a further place in the evolution of their consciousness and they very often will come back. I had a dream of my beloved black dog um, one time and I think it was a, a year after he passed and uh, the dream was that he was with another family 
And then I was walking in some neighborhood and I saw him and he saw me and he was so happy and he ran to me and then halfway he stopped and he turned around and ran back to the family and then he stopped and then he ran to me and I, I remember thinking he's back and he's in love and he's continuing to evolve and I had my turn with him, my chapter with him and it was great. I had gotten to a place of peace and now he's learning with another family, taking that love elsewhere and it was like, liberating, empowering, beautiful, no jealousy, no problem like that. So yes, pets can and do reincarnate. Do pets ever come back as human beings? Uh, according to Seth by Jane Roberts, as I've shared in another spiritual tune-up, no. Animal consciousness is very different than human consciousness. It's a different track. It's a different degree. It's a different everything about it is is quite radically different than human the, the evolution of human consciousness. Divine mind absolutely wants to come here as human. Divine, divine mind is you and me. Divine mind does not need to kind of go through an animal sequence to then become human. If divine mind wants to be human, pff, here, here is divine mind as human. And here is divine mind as animal. And there, there need, there's zero need. And while humans might think, well, the evolution of consciousness, we go from rock to plant to animal to human, that's a, a silly linear way of humanizing um, the, the, the idea of evolution. But make no mistake, every rock, plant, and animal is pure 100% God, divine spiritual energy. Um, the other question, the, the converse of that, would a human being ever come back as an animal or maybe as a pet? Again, Seth says, and I regard, I revere Seth because of the empowering nature of almost all else that Seth shares that I have a sense of. When Seth kind of goes to a realm, like do humans sometimes choose to come back to, as animals? I, my mind and my essence cannot fathom that, but Seth can. And because Seth is right on all these other things, I give it to Seth. Seth says, no, never, 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 never. A human being can lend a fragment of their awareness, of their consciousness to a tree, a blade of grass, a bird flying overhead, or an animal while in human form or from the other side. But they would not be doing transmigration and coming back and reincarnating from human to animal to cow to dog to, to whatever. No, absolutely not. Just the way animals don't become human, human don't become animals. Although there's this sharing. And in the deepest, truest sense of all, we are everywhere always at once. So I'm already in every animal, every mote of dust. And it's a matter of understanding and bringing awake my consciousness out of this body into other bodies, which is surely an effortless feat uh, with uh, true enlightenment and understanding of the nature of reality. So they are holy, beloved sparks of God that take on human characteristics when they're loved in good and not so helpful ways. Guard dogs, obedient dogs, loving dogs, uh, and all other animals. They're here to uh, complete the ecosystem. They're here to be our best friends. They're here to be a light, to be an example. Uh, and they're still here discovering more reasons to be here, all in divine mind. Everything is sacred. Everything is holy. As far as the vegetarian vegan issue, I've spoken directly to that before. I am uh, nearly vegan. I highly recommend it. Perhaps it's not for you. Don't go there. No problem. No one's judged for whether or not they 
eat animals. Um, there's no karma in my view as to doing that. But if you don't need to, then why would you? You wouldn't eat your dog. Uh, why would you eat another animal that's uh, equally conscious and loving and emotional as your dog? But do what you want. It's all good. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, Mike Dooley, TBT, thoughts become things here for another spiritual tune-up. Thanks for all the comments on yesterday's uh, tune-up where I answered questions about the souls of animals uh, and what happens when they move on. Today's question pertains to demons. Mike, are demons real entities as angels are? Or are they a misunderstanding and a figment of imagination? So are demons real? Uh, real what would be the right question? Yes, there absolutely are demons out there, but they, they are never what we conventionally think of them as, nor define them as. First off, they exist in two forms. There are demons, two forms. One, they are a former, formerly living dearly departed loved one. Whether or not you knew them, somebody probably did, right? But they were an incarnated being descended into the low vibration of a life in the jungles of time and space. They were far removed from truth. That's what we all signed up for, to kind of descend here to all of a sudden experience our own creations without even knowing there are they are our own creations, and we eat of the forbidden fruit every single day, which means we react to the world until one day we evolve sufficiently to realize we are creating the world that we live in, and if there's something we don't like, we change it here, and we don't go change the reflection of the origin that's here. And in the process of that, we can get really confused and strung out far, far away from what truth is. And the more confusion in our minds, the more we resist the magic that is everywhere. And if a being, a human being, departs in an extremely confused state, when they realize that they are still awake, a conscious, but without a body, they can tend to freak out and they can want to come back they want to seek revenge. They don't know what to do with themselves. They are not wise enough to be drawn to the light automatically. Guides and comforters and angels are sent to their rescue. No one is ever lost. But in the meantime, whether it's years or millennia, they could be trapped, just as we saw in the movie Ghosts with Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, so long ago. I, I know that dates me. What a fantastic movie that is. And so many other movies depict ghosts as they truly are, confused and trapped humans, the, the spark of the divine that's just had an experience in the illusions, who don't know where to go or what to do next. And their beliefs are so limiting. And the beliefs we have on earth, this is what we take with us in the afterlife. We've got a little bit of a, uh, 
a boost in the afterlife. We have more friends if we believe we're going to be helped or we're going to meet Jesus or Buddha than we do. Uh, but if we believe nothing happens, if we believe it's the extinguishment of all reality, that life and time and space is just random chance and has no spiritual or intelligent meaning, well, those folks have a real difficult time on the other side because they're trying to reconcile the fact that they're still alive but without a body. And so they will haunt they will hang around. They will throw things, try to get your attention, hate you, curse at you. But please understand that they can absolutely not touch you. And while I say they can throw things 99.999% of the time, you would never be aware of it because it would only be the ethereal things that they can grab onto, not the physical things that you can otherwise see. Okay, so either they're a departed, confused human being, or the other type of demon is a thought form of someone now waking and in life who believes in ghosts, who believes in demons, or for some other reason in their psyche has created a projection of what they truly believe they are physically seeing, an apparition, a ghost, a demon, a devil, but it is entirely of their own creation. And similar to the other type of demons, such creations are absolutely powerless, totally powerless to intervene, to mess up, to get in the way of your life, or to, to do the things that we think demons do. That they're just a thought form, completely powerless. So, there's two types of demons, and uh, neither one can do anything to hurt you. They cannot touch you. They cannot interfere with your life. Only you can interfere with your life. And if you might point to them and say it's their fault, well, that's your creation, and you're giving them power. Instead, just peace out, wish them well, tell them to go to the light, and in a blink, literally, they're going to be gone. What I would most like to impart in this spiritual tune-up is that Unlike the presence of angels, there is no corresponding demons or devils. There is nothing in reality, not on any plane or sphere of existence, where evil comes alive and is personified, where evil lurks and tries to overtake good. There's only consciousness, and all consciousness is of God, by God, pure God. All consciousness is born of love. It just can fleetingly be extremely confused, but it can always be ultimately reached and rehabilitated. So it's not like the devil is out there. There's absolutely no such thing as a devil, I, as I have repeat, repeatedly said in these tune-ups. What would a devil be? Like, like, oops, God made a big mistake. Divine intelligence, source energy made a big mistake, and now this this primordial goop and glop that's trying to over as if God couldn't just step on that thing if it even existed and it doesn't nothing existed in in, in this wonder filled oasis of perfection in the physical universe as I said in my book the top 10 things dead people want to tell you that would be like having a cockroach in God's kitchen inconceivable, absolutely absurd, totally ridiculous. It's just beings of light that can fleetingly be totally confused. So there's no such thing as a demon as 
depicted in Halloween. There's no such thing as a demon, as a, a poltergeist that can reach out and into your life, uh, you know, jump into your body, all those awful things. Uh, th those are born of confused minds here who don't see the magic and the love and the second chances and the billionth chances that are afforded all of us. We truly live in a world where everything serves us, everything lifts us up, everything is here to serve you and I. Everything is working out fantastically. There have never been any kind of mistakes. Don't judge yourself that way either. We're all doing the best we can with what we've got from where we are. And we're all walking each other home, as Ron Doss so famously said. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, it's Mike Dooley. Time for a spiritual tune-up where I, every weekday, answer your questions. Post it on Facebook and or Instagram. Today's question, Mike, if we are the answer, why do we question? If we truly seek clarity, why do we spend so much time looking for it as opposed to just receiving it and living happily ever after? This is the billion dollar question and it hints to the origins, the purpose, the reason, the joy, the adventure of these sacred jungles of time and space. We came from that place of being everywhere, always at once, of knowing all things, omniscient gladiators of the galaxy and the universe and multi-universes and beyond. And it was from there, God had this new idea. Source energy, divine intelligence had this idea for further expansion. What would it be like to fleetingly believe that we are here and not there, uh, that we have or have not, that it's today or that it's tomorrow or that it's the past or that it's the future. Instead of being everywhere always at once, what if we fleetingly believed in the lies of time, space, and matter? Suddenly, the potential for emotion was born. Just with a little bit of thought, divine intelligence doesn't know sadness, doesn't know joy, doesn't know being excited, has no idea of what coffee tastes like on a Friday morning right before the weekend. Divine intelligence is just, just blissed out, if you will, with not even a ripple of emotion, nothing that you know of as an emotion, not even human love, which is totally different than divine love, could be comprehended unless... Divine intelligence fleetingly, briefly forgot, forgot, let go of truth, no longer knew, needs to ask questions, do you see? By fleetingly forgetting the truth of its ever-presence, suddenly game on the razor's edge of reality creation where you can be led by your dreams to go from here to there. Oh my gosh, I want to go there. You're already there. But by forgetting it, now you have an adventure. And on your way from here to there, you meet people, you fall in love, lions and tigers and bears, adventure, drama, highs, lows. Oh my gosh, none of that is achievable when you already know you're there when you know that you're always safe, when you know that everything is supremely well. 
Hence, these sacred jungles of time and space. Scary? Oh my gosh! The universe didn't know what fear was until it became us. But coming here, it knew ahead of time that it would all be happening within itself. That it would also be everywhere always at once, even though one aspect of itself might not, re well, would not remember it for the duration of an adventure. But an adventure is happening in a blink. Eternity is a blink. A thousand year lifetime is a blink. It's like a nighttime sleep and you wake up reinvigorated, charged. Wow, I thought that was so real. I thought you were good and I thought you were bad and let's go back again and let's do it all over again because we're going to wake up here back in the palm of God's hand and all will be supremely well. This is a little bit of what I alluded to yesterday and in earlier tune-ups when I spoke of our eating the forbidden fruit. This is a metaphorical tale in the Bible. When we look to the illusions around us and think that they're more real than us, that they existed prior to us, that we are an afterthought, that we are a byproduct, that we are secondary. You are the prime mover of these sacred jungles of time and space, but you've hidden that awareness from yourself so that you could be swept away in the drama and the joy and the absolute bliss that is here, feeling the love rain down on you. Once you began to ask some questions. And yes, you're totally right. The questions are us. We are the answer. But so is it everywhere. And until you realize that you are source, you're going to be reacting and looking and negotiating off of players around you. That's okay. That's okay. Have fun. Find people to hang out with. Find people to have deep discussions with. Find people to play with, to ski with, to search with, to dive with, to sail with, to study with, to work with, to make a million dollars with, do all of that. And along the way, ask questions. Who am I? Why am I here? This is not a, an ambition or asking questions is not done with the goal of totally obliterating the illusions and suddenly being everywhere always at once. No, that, that would defeat the whole purpose of coming here. No more drama, no more emotions. But by asking questions, you can awaken within the dream and keep the dream going. Then you can stay here and enjoy chocolate. You can enjoy sunsets. You can enjoy dew on the grass. You can enjoy falling snow. <laughs> in streetlights or moonlight. You can, I mean, the list of ecstasies and splendors are endless. And that's why we're here. Because only by emerging from the darkness, if you will, from unknowingness, from ignorance into the light, can we be just riveted and ecstatic and engaged in, in all the things that we are as human beings. So continue to ask questions. If you ask somebody else, if you ask me or you ask yourself, it's all good. You do have the answers and so does everyone else. And by playing off of one another, my gosh, we can get that much further along. Um, I once asked the, the alien beings, Frank, channeled by Tracy Farquhar, you know, because they view themselves, even though they're from planet Brohashka, I know that sounds weird, you gotta read our book, From Deep Space with Love. Even though they're from afar, their spiritual evolution of consciousness and that journey is identical to ours. It's all about discovering truth, empowerment, love, cooperation. And I said, you know, given that they view themselves uh, 
in a way as humanitarians of the cosmos. I know they're not human. You have to read the book. Uh, this is not about buying the book. I can tell you all that I want to tell you right now. Um, they view themselves as of a agents of light. They went through a hard time on their planet. They went through a difficult arc in the evolution of their own consciousness and they made it through to the other side where it was just like everything got exponentially better while in the illusion and while they continue to develop and uh, into the arts and cooperation and thriving together as a society in Prohashka, they wondered who else in the physical universe is going through what we went through that we might be able to help. And so like attracts like, ask questions, answers appear. They found us among others going through at the, at the, we're at the beginning of what they've come out of, you know, a, a breakdown of, uh, civilization, a breakdown of communication, um, looking at ourselves as victims, looking at the others as perpetrators, um, splitting up into these polarized groups. And so they're here to help. And so, I asked them in this discourse that's recorded in the book, I said, you know, sometimes I wonder, does it even make any difference that, that, that I espouse truth and that I write books and notes from the universe and, you know, try to share inspiration? I said, you know, it inspires me and I have a good time talking about it as I unpackage the gifts uh, from confusion and find truth in my life. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun to talk about. But, you know, I know that many people I reach in audiences or book readers, they might get psyched up for a day or an hour or a year, and then they might go back down into the dark night of their soul. And, you know, um, does it even make a difference? And they laughed and they said, we often asked the same question of ourselves, but with a little bit of contemplation and reflection. The answer was, how could it not help to be a light? How could it not help to ask questions? How could it not help to connect dots for those who are asking those questions? We are summoned by them as an extension of them. There is you and more you. I'm another part of you. You ask a question and then you find me doing a spiritual tune-up or a book or a course or a whatever. And it's the same for me. And then, of course, you look at the masters. Uh, the ascended masters recorded in time and space, Buddha, Jesus, Krishna, I, I don't even know all the names, Babaji. And uh, what were they doing but sharing truth to people who already had the truth within them but didn't know it? And by being kind of on the outside of their periphery, sometimes when you hear somebody else say something that resonates as pure beauty and empowerment, you give yourself permission to connect those dots. Whereas in your own funk with your own beliefs and sometimes the prison that they create around us, we are not able to yet see ourselves do that for ourselves on our own. So I think by all means, ask questions, share answers, ask yourself, ask others, read books, discuss it. Everyone can get there on their own. But we're all people, persons. We really are. And we all like to share. And just as I have been lifted up by the Seth material and Ramtha and the Prophet and Khalil Gibran and Herman Hesse and Siddhartha, uh, so do I hope to 
lift other people up. And I think there is no shame in being open to ideas. And one final thought, I had the pleasure of interviewing my friend, Neil Donald Walsh, and he questioned whether or not he was really channeling as, you know, source energy God in the conversations with God books. And I said, you know, how do you know you're not just making it up? And he said, I asked God that same question in my journaling when I write and answer questions that produced some of the most profound books I have ever read in my life, Conversations with God. And God replied, Neil, don't you think I'd use every resource, avenue, trick possible to reach you with the truth, given that you're asking the questions? Ask the questions. And don't you think, Neil, I would use your imagination? Of course it's just your imagination. Who do you think divine energy is? The source energy, but your imagination. There's just you and more you. And we're all playing this game where we for playfully, willingly forgot so that we could rediscover it. And on each journey driven by our desires and or each journey fueled by our fears. Same, same. Journey, journey. Lessons, emotions. The jewels of time and space. We experience for divine intelligence what divine intelligence could not have otherwise known had it not taken the plunge into being you, their most favored child. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, happy Thursday. Time for a spiritual tune-up. Sorry for the delay. I had to go track down my dog so she wouldn't start barking in the middle of this. Um, Today's great question posted by you, and thank you so much for the great questions. Boy, they're getting better and better, in my opinion. Uh, not that they weren't always awesome. Mike, you've said to focus on the feeling, keep it general, and that our good thoughts are more powerful than our bad thoughts. Don't worry that you worry. I've wanted a biological child for a long time, and things finally seem to be lining up with this last pregnancy and still I miscarried. How can we deny the anxiety and discouragement that is real with experiences like these and at the same time not feel like it was the anxiety and stress that caused the negative outcome in the first place? If thoughts become things, why don't we see more women over 45 and 50 having babies We know when we know that is what so many truly desire? Wow. Okay, I can so relate to this because I'm a late blooming first time dad. My daughter was born when I was 53. My wife was uh, uh, 15 years younger than me. So um, the clock wasn't as uh, ticking as it could have been. But I have so much to share with you here right now. Hang on. But first, don't let your physical senses deceive you. Don't see this thing out of kilter, out of proportion from what's really going on. It seems like what could well be the absolute greatest joy of your life, being a parent. And I will tell you, it is mine. Hallelujah. The greatest joy of my life. And I didn't even know it would be half as good as this. And we wanted it very badly. It seems like everything is riding on whether or not you conceive. Oh my gosh, the enormity of the weight of the world on your shoulders. It's like all or nothing. That's the trick, the hook of living in these jungles of time and space, realizing that it is never all or nothing. And that 
We want to define our end results wisely and do what we can while knocking on all doors and living a really balanced life so that we can allow the best of the best of the best of what is custom tailored to our growth and joy and glory can present itself seemingly effortlessly. Okay, and that's what awaits you. You're in a really good place. You got so much right, but let me take this step by step. When will we see women over 45 and 50 and 60 conceiving and having healthy babies and having an awesome family life, we will see that when they see that. When we as a society see that. It's there. Some are having it. Janet Jackson and others. Um, but this will become normal as we start living more spiritually aware lives, healthier lives, taking responsibility for all things, including our joy, that's going to automatically extend our lives and extend the time frame within which we can procreate. Okay, and you are so right about my teachings. Everything you said about what I advocate is spot on, but there's a slight little adjustment I would make. Um, don't worry even that you've got this anxiety. Don't worry that you worry is correct something that I say. Your positive thoughts are so much more powerful than your negative thoughts. Thoughts in alignment with truth that you're a gladiator of love and joy capable of all things including having your own family. Oh my God, it is written. It is destiny. It's going to happen. Don't worry that you worry and don't blame yourself that, oh my gosh, I think that was me, that was my negativity, that was my anxiety. You can be anxiety-ridden. You can be negative and pessimistic. You can carry the weight of the world on your shoulders and it can still happen for you. I can tell you it happened for us. We were worried about those same kind of things as yourself. But keep on keeping on doing all you can with what you've got from where you are, moving in the direction of parenthood. And don't blame yourself, but if you do, it's still going to work out for you. All right? So you keep on trying, and even when you get to a place where it seems hopeless, you can still come around the corner. That's how inclined you are to succeed. But now let me get to my other teachings where I feel like there's room for an adjustment. Okay, I teach not to micromanage. You got that. I teach to have generally stated end results. I teach that it is beyond priceless to wisely define your dreams and desires in a way that gives the universe infinite latitude to reach you. Get to the crux of what you really, really want. And it's plain as day, what you really, really want is a family, and to be that mom, to be that parent. And I'm speaking to so many people right now who are going to be going through or are now going through exactly the same thing. What you really, really want is joy. You think you're going to get there through parenting. And then the how of the parenting for you is to conceive. Conceiving is a great way. It's a fun way. It works for so many people. Most people, you should be trying this until you just can't try it anymore. Okay. But it's not the only way. And that might sound devastating. And you might say that's not fair. And you might say, don't go there, Mike, because you know where I'm going with this. Knock on every door, turn over every stone to say that I want to have a child. I want my happiness to come to fruition. And it's going to happen this way. Does 
put too much pressure on yourself. It's better not to have the pressure, but you can still succeed with the pressure. But moreover, it closes the doors to other possibilities. And at this state in the evolution of our consciousness, given where we are as a whole in, in this civilization, we generally do not know what our other thoughts and beliefs are. Do you believe you're worthy? Do you believe you'd be a good parent? Do you believe that, that you have a clean slate uh, of innocence and optimism based on prior lifetimes? I mean, none of those questions can I answer about myself. I don't know if I believe I'm worthy. I don't know what I brought over from a past lifetime. I know we're not limited by past lifetimes unless at some level in this lifetime, we're still agreeing to that, that belief, that contract, that whatever, which we can rip up on the fly, which is why you keep trying to conceive and you should keep knocking on that door. But you don't really know if there's some genetic, biological, karmic, uh, contract reason that may be blocking you, that may be blocking that one way. And it may be that you can't work around it unless you do some really deep work that maybe you're just not going to do in this lifetime. You can't know that. I don't know that about myself. You don't need to know that to keep knocking on all the doors. My wife and I, I married at 50, tried for a couple of years Years is like decades. It's like eternity when you're in your 50s and you want to have a child, even if you're a guy. But we kept on, we remained aware of what our other options were. And while we did not go down those paths yet, we were on the cusp of looking into fertility treatment. We were on the cusp of looking at in vitro. We were on the cusp of looking at surrogate possibilities. We were on the cusp of all kinds of crazy testings for ourselves. We were on the cusp of looking into adoptions on the cusp. We would have very soon begin knocking on those doors. And I would say, you know, there's no harm in getting aware of what those things are. And here's the, the coup de gras of what I wanted to share with you right now that I think perhaps paints a picture in truth um, that is so meaningful right now. One of my favorite authors and probably yours too is Khalil Gibran, the Lebanese poet, artist, author, Khalil Gibran, G-I-B-R-A-N, who wrote a timeless treasure that is known and sold the world over called The Prophet, Prophet like Messiah, The Prophet. If you haven't read this book, everybody watching this right now, if you haven't read that book, Google a free copy right now and or better buy a copy for life. It is a treasure and it speaks to every facet of life in a page or two. You can handle a page or two and it talks about parenting, marriage, relationships, uh, family, work. Uh, and there's probably 30 or 40 chapters on every one of the mainstream concepts, constructs of our civilization. And it is profound through the roof. And I'm going to quote Khalil Gibran right now in a most magnificent chapter. This is a teeny, teeny bit of it. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. The concept that having a child uh, that's biologically of your own flesh 
being different than having a child that's not biologically of your own flesh it, as two different things is complete nonsense. It's complete heresy. It is, it is the lie of all lies. Yes, there is something going on when it's your flesh and they might have your skin tone or they might have your funny hair or they might have a few quirky mannerisms, but they are no less your child than if they were adopted or surrogate or you know, all the all the things that are now available for parents wanting to conceive. The child on the other side sees the probabilities, sees the options, knows that you're knocking on other doors. And that child on the other side has chosen you as much as you have chosen it. And it will use the vehicle of your physical body paired with your partner if that's the most practical, viable option given all of your other beliefs uh, inclinations, desires, etc. But if for any reason, whether it's genetics or just things not functioning properly, uh, then, or beliefs, it will choose another probability and it will know who's about to conceive or who could possibly conceive, who would be in on this caper. And there would be this agreement between the carrying parents and the child to be born, and the adoptive parents. And there would be zero difference and zero chances taken and absolute perfect synchronicity matching the child that wants to be raised by you to the parents that will be given that child. And while to the physical sense it will be like, oh, at the last second we found out about this adoption and five states away or in a different country or this or that. The circumstances will seem random, haphazard, uh, last minute, unpredictable. Suddenly the, the surrogate parent reneges, changes their mind. And at the last second, you find a new baby born who's also had a, a last second change of heart by the birth parents. And suddenly it's matched up to you or you go to an orphanage, or the weirdest, weirdest things are never random, never random, by divine order, which is all that exists. And you want your child, your child wants you, it's going to happen. And somebody said something very heartbreaking, uh, a misconception several tune-ups ago when I talked about this. They said, when I said your children picks you, as much as you pick them. They said, well, I'm, I don't have a child and it's too late now. And that really breaks my heart because it means no child picked me. The only reason somebody does not become a parent is through their own choices, intentional or otherwise, never because there wasn't a child that didn't want to be born. And don't think that life is about having babies. It's just an option. And as much as it's been something thrilling for me, that doesn't mean it's for everybody. It is not for everybody. It is so not for everybody. Only you know what's right for you. And if you're lit up by this and you're drawn to it and you want to be a parent, there are a lot of ways. And insisting that it be your own biological creation it is messing with the cursed house. It is micromanagement. If you want to do that, by all means, knock on that door and and give it your best shot day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. But don't necessarily 
unless your intuition and heart tells you otherwise, let it be the only thing you consider. Because if parenting and creating a family is what you really want, there are other ways to get there. There really are. And you will find, as I'm sure you can interview adoptive parents, that the connection between an adoptive parent and my niece's one, the most amazing sweetheart of a child, uh, niece, grown-up adult, I love you, uh, no different, zero. There are too many stories that will reveal the exact same thing. Love is love, and even if they're yours biologically, they're not yours. They're another form of the divine that came through you. And whether they come through you or come through somebody else doesn't change the connection that you can have, that you can foster, that you can relish, that you can enjoy. I'm not saying you must go out and adopt. I'm saying go for the genetic thing if that's what's so important to you. But if you're finding that it's not working and you are finding the doctors are telling you it can't happen or won't happen, at that point, I would have begin looking at other options. Realizing what you really want is that connection, that family, uh, and you can so have that. Just don't micromanage. Just don't insist. Continue to live your life on all fronts as my wife and I did. Not that we're perfect by any stretch, but we didn't let our happiness get hijacked by, we want a baby, it's not happening. We continue to live and love, enjoy each other, travel, work, be creative. You can do all those things and that'll take the pressure off this one area of your life as well. It'll happen at the perfect and right time for you. Open your heart, open your mind, consider all things. That'll take pressure away from conceiving. Hello, adventurers. Mike Dooley, Thoughts Become Things. Time for a fry, yay, spiritual tune-up. Thanks for joining me. A lot of great questions this week. I'll answer your question if you post it below on the day of a broadcast, Facebook and or Instagram. Today's question, really straight to the point and another heartbreaker, potentially, it's all in how you choose to see it. How to heal a broken family. All right, this might take you to some places you're not expecting to go, uh, but it's all good and there's no need to carry around a broken heart when you understand the truth of reality. We're all here, brothers and sisters, trying to make the best of this, walking each other home, as Ram Dass said. First and foremost, you don't have to fix anything, okay? Sometimes those in a blood family or an adopted family in the nuclear family um, are of the same soul family, so to speak, just, you know, to put a word on it, there's a deep connection, prior lives, tra trading roles, you work good together. And so the family decided to, to do it again. They learn at the same rate, they have the same sense of humor, um, they love each other. And so that's one kind of a family. Another kind of a family might just be, hey, you know, I, I'm ready to soar on my own. I'm really not all about the silver spoon, uh, being pampered, being guided. I want to bust a move and blaze my own trail. And I'm somebody might choose a lifetime or a family that's actually not that supportive, maybe with very little in common, so that they will be more inclined, more likely to stand on their own two legs quicker to have an entirely different kind of life. 
What comes to mind right away is the, the Broadway show and now Disney movie, Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. The, the kid was an orphan uh, in the middle of a, the Atlantic Ocean, the uh, Caribbean island. And what that did for his character, according to the biography, is, is made him into one phenomenal superhero, independent, creative, brilliant thinker. Now, you don't have to have poor family background or no guidance to do all of those things. You know, the art of life is the art of life and no two lives are the same. But the point I'm making is sometimes you may choose uh, a family to be raised by uh, that is really close to you and you all just are on the same page all the time. A few squabbles here and there. And in other times, it's just not that kind of family at all. And you all go your own separate ways. There's nothing less spiritual about that. It's okay. You do not have to fix a broken family if you would just as well go a different way. You do not owe anybody anything, not even your parents. And they, apart from from obviously bringing you into the world and thereby agreeing to provide shelter and guidance to the best of their ability for as long as you're around, they don't owe you anything. Brothers and sisters don't owe each other anything. Better to be in each other's company at a pace and a frequency that's comfortable for you all than to overdo it, overplay it, think that there's some kind of you know, sacredness to the family bond. There's no sacredness. You could easily have a much closer, loving friendship bond with a human being not in your family than perhaps with everybody who's in your family. And that's okay. So the first point of two major points I want to share in this answer is you don't have to go fix it. You, you, can, you can go your own way with love in your heart and kindness and decide on the fly whether or not to say send holiday cards or recognize birthdays. It's all good. Again, with love in your heart and, and, and just being the awesome person that you are, there's probably going to be plenty of kindness uh, and love to share with those, even if you don't feel too much like uh, a kindred spirit with them. So I'm not saying, you know, turn your back and go away, but you could, you could, you could do it lovingly. All right. Second point I, I wanted to really make for those who really feel like, look, this is sacred. It's sacred to me. It's meaningful to me. I might not owe them anything, but I want to serve them. And they might not owe me anything, but I'd love to be in their sphere. I really feel them for whatever reason, intellectual, emotional, um, biological. If there is that kind of a relationship and it's kind of on the rocks, um, recognize that the brokenness is the first step of the healing. It's the manifestation that something needs to be sorted out in your mind, in their mind, in communication, in respect, in cooperation, in the functioning of the family and the roles you want to repair. The breakdown is the first sign that a healing has begun. And should you so choose to go and make amends, 
accept apologies, give apologies, see things from their perspective, walk in their moccasins, more power to you, go for it. They may not respond. That's okay. Peace, love them anyway. Look, it's all happening inside the heart of God. All of us are inseparable. We're all incarnations of one another. You're a reincarnational aspect of me and I am of you in the deepest, truest sense of it all. We're all God come alive in this dream of life. And so sometimes you're not going to see eye to eye in a lifetime, but you've got eternity to actually get back to being one with that person and understanding what they were going through and they understanding what you were going through. So by all means, go for it. They might not reciprocate or they may, or they may be trying to reciprocate, but as to the point one that I made, you're just like not there. Like, look, I love you, and yet let's stay in touch, and I'm going to honor you, but um, I don't need nor want the intensity of a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly kind of relationship. So brokenness is the first sign of a healing, should you want a healing, and should it be mutual, because you can't force them. You can't make them. You can't as I teach with thoughts become things and living the life of your dreams, there's the Bermuda Triangle of manifesting. You can never be assured of manipulating a certain person to behave a certain way. Now, you can draw people out of the masses that will compliment you, and they're just as sacred, spiritual, and wonderful, and could have as much a loving impact in your family life as somebody of blood, but you cannot insist on specific behavior coming from a specific person. You can wish for it, you can influence it, you can you know, fall into their perception and they will pick up your love, your concern, your thoughts, but you can't, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink. So you cannot force this thing to work if it's only you trying to make it work. And the other, and, and then the final thing I wanted to share, the third point I wanted to share, which should be per pervasive in both answers, and I said as much already, just let there be love in your heart, kindness in your heart, flexibility in your heart, adaptability in your heart. Don't put the needs of your family in front of your own. Don't do that. Put your needs first. But when you define you, it will automatically include those you love and care for, which doesn't mean that they can hijack your happiness. But to the degree that it works for you, you can choose to stay in touch. You can see them frequently or infrequently or not at all. With love in your heart, you've got the yellow brick road before you and uh, burned bridges will be mended. Okay, With them, uh, with them on the same side of the, the canal as you or, or not. Okay, With love in your heart, it's all possible. It's all good. You don't owe anybody anything. Neither do they owe you. Well, there you have it. One more week's worth of spiritual tune-ups. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just saw or heard, please share with a friend, uh, thumbs up, like, follow, whatever may be the case on the platform you're now experiencing this. If you want more inspiration, every single day I send out a note from the universe. Right now it's going out to a million people. We'd love to add you to that list. Enjoy. Thoughts become things. See you next time.